Welcome to the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. This is episode number 21. My name is Mark Stephen Schwartz. It is both an honor and a privilege for me to read the diaries of American and Allied civilian prisoners of war interned in and around Kobe, Japan during the Great Pacific War, World War II. On April 16th, 1942. April 16, 1942. Charles F. Gregg. The Marquis of head of the Japanese Red Cross, called on us today. Asked about clothing, letters home, radio broadcast home, and from the U.S. to here, food, our return to the United States, and a plea for first precedence due to military captive status and when diplomats were to return. Answers vague or none at all. Diplomats to leave in one or two months. The weather has been warmer but cloudy, rain in the afternoon. Weather is a distraction. Now reading The Way of a Transgressor by Negley Farson. Eating powdered buttermilk purchased off the record at 2.8 yen per one pound tin. Tomatoes, 50 sen, and beans, 60 sen a can. Had pants cleaned at one and a half yen. Several of us have purchased teapots and tea. We now have our morning, afternoon, and evening tea. At 7.30, tea with bread saved for meals, at times some salt, jam, and powdered milk. Harold Brinkerhoff, we were allowed to write letters home. I wrote El Zeta and the boys. There was an article saying the Axis prisoners had been badly treated. In an article today, it says they've been asked to turn in their firearms. Roy Hanning. Nice sunny day, reading in the courtyard. We're promised more bread, better chow, and things to be brought in on the outside for us by the Mikado restaurant. We were visited by the Red Cross people. Very good chow today. Don Wallace. We were visited by Mr. Pericini, delegate for the International Red Cross in Tokyo. We implored that our food situation and housing facilities be remedied or any assistance that his organization could give us would be greatly appreciated. We were informed by him that he was only concerned with the military and not civilians. It was quite a disappointment to learn the Red Cross would not aid us in our deplorable situation. Reed Hubbard, Dr. Paravicini, International Red Cross Delegate for Japan, visited us and gave us no encouragement, not even sympathy, was a big disappointment to us. I should mention that both Wallace and Hubbard and Brodowski were up there at the Butterfield and Swires. So Paravicini visited Butterfield and Swires and Shimazu visited the Siemens Institute. 
uh, and continuing at the Siemens Institute, Brian Sterling, uneventful. April 17th, 1942, Charles F. Gregg. Max Brodowski with Reed Hubbard and O'Connor came down from the other house for books. Max looked fine, thinner, but sun-tanned and healthy. He complained of nervous indigestion and some sleepless nights, but on the whole was in high spirits. All Hamileff reported to be okay. Asparagus distributed at 70 cent a one pound can to all the men. Harold Brinkerhoff. Lois sure making an ass of himself. Since we have been here, he is soaked and kept to himself. I thought it was money. I bought him some cigarettes several times. Since we've been getting money from the Swiss consul, he has continued his sulking. He has gambled away all his allotment and has borrowed. He has fits of temper. One day the Chinese boy picked up his plate. There was no food left on it. Blow threw down a piece of bread he was eating, jumped up from the table, and went off in the corner. This has happened several times. He has given away his last two meals. The only reason I can think of is to get sympathy. It is strange how captivity affects different people. I see quite a number of men who have withdrawn into themselves and will have nothing to do with the rest of us. The restaurant sent in a small can of asparagus for each of us at 70 cents. It was a welcome change. Roy Hanning, cold and clear, no exercise in the park. Pat O'Connor came down from the other house for books. Bought two jars of jam from Fumisan, the cook. Bill Hughes brought me a can of milk. Got a can of asparagus and I made a good sandwich. Bought a package of coffee powder. Bryant Sterling. Can of tomatoes. 51 two and a half pound size. Oh, I get it. 51 yen for two and a half, 51 cent for a two and a half pound size. One can of asparagus, 70 yen, number one picnic size, and one large bottle of ketchup, 75 cent. Came in for each of us today. I'm saving mine until we get out of the kitchen, until I get out of the kitchen. I have plenty to eat in there. They're cutting down on my bread. This is probably because they've been forced to give the fellows larger rations, which makes their bread short. Bought three packages of sweet coffee today. April 18th, 1942. Max Brodowski. We heard a plane overhead that did not have the now familiar sound of the Jap charcoal burners as we called their planes. Over our head, flying at about 500 feet, flashed one of Doolittle's B-25 Raiders. We watched that single plane raid over Kobe. Not a Jap in the sky, but they filled the air with anti-aircraft bursts. The B-25 dropped its bombs, and we actually enjoyed the fires that burned the rest of the day. Harold Brinkerhoff. Kobe was bombed. At 2.40 this afternoon, I was in my room. 
I heard a plane with a different sound traveling very fast. I dashed out on the porch just in time to see four bombs drop on the shipyards. The only glimpse I got of the plane was a double tail going away real fast. It was quickly lost below the housetops. Some of the boys in the park said they saw Navy insignias on the plane. There's a report Yokohama was bombed also. There's some other scuttlebutt that Russia has declared war on Japan and that it was a Russian plane. We have not been able to substantiate any of the reports as yet. We can see a lot of smoke from the vicinity of the shipyards. The fellows think they will be used as beacons to bomb tonight. The plane had a star on its side. There are conflicting stories. Some say the star was blue, others say it was red, and still others say it was white. Charles F. Gregg, air raid on Kobe. While we were in the park at exercise period, 2.40 p.m., one twin-engine, twin-tail aircraft flew over the town and the park at very low altitude, 1,500 to 2,000 feet, and went over the waterfront or shipyards, dropped three incendiary bombs, which started a fire or fires in that area. Anti-aircraft fire was directed in the general direction of the plane, but the plane dove down, apparently close to the water, and disappeared from view. Marking on the plane was a red star in a white circle field on the right wing only. We were immediately taken back to the house. Air alarm and fire signals sounded. Fire details appeared on the rooftops. And red flags or a red cloth appeared before every doorway. Previously, a yellow and white banner had been displayed. The guards were quite excited and both shifts, six men, were put on duty. The windows were covered and light shaded or disconnected. A real blackout occurred in Kobe this evening. We were locked in the house and instructed not to light matches or cigarettes in our rooms or bathrooms. The following is from Roy C. Anning. Reading Good Earth. It's a very good book. Sunny but very crisp outside. Working the slide rule problems. From the park, saw two motor planes coming over at a two motor plane coming over at 2:40 p.m. Drop bombs. More air raid sirens in the early evening. A can of tomatoes and a bottle of ketchup sold to each man. No lights allowed upstairs. Hardly find the bed. Slept with stockings on. Nothing happens. Slept soundly. Don Wallace. Day of days, American bomber came over Kobe. Bombs dropped on the waterfront. Great confusion ca caused among the Japs. Bryant Sterling. This was one of those big days. Japan was invaded, so they say, the first time in 2,500 years. A bunch of us were sitting in the court in the back when we heard a large two-engine plane flying low overhead. It was coming plenty fast at about 2,000 feet 
and seemed to make a lot more noise than the planes we had heard recently. I remarked to the fellows that the plane didn't sound like a charcoal burner. A few minutes after that, we heard the thunderous roar of three explosions. The plane was an enemy craft, and it dropped three incendiary bombs on apparently some shipyards as it was flying in their direction. Air raid warning sirens sounded a few minutes afterwards. One of our Japanese cops came out and told us this was just a drill, but we knew better. Some of the men were playing ball in the park at the time and saw the plane as well as a star on one wing. They weren't sure of the color of the star, so consequently at the present time, we don't know whether this was a Russian or American plane. A good deal of smoke was seen afterward in the direction of the bombing accompanied by the wailing of fire engine sirens. Directly after the bombing, several of us rushed to our second story back porch in time to see smoke from the burst of anti-aircraft fire. Many of the buildings around us all at once seemed to be well stocked with Japanese soldiers on their roofs who apparently were anti-aircraft gunners. Don Wallace at the time was in a dentist's office uptown and on coming out said the town seemed to be in much confusion. That night, the town was completely blacked out. The Siemens mission had a few lights dimmed in the dining room, but no lights at all throughout the rest of the building. Had to grope our way through the halls and in our bedrooms. No more bombing for this day or night. April 19, 1942. Charles F. Gregg paper this morning says Tokyo and Yokohama raided by approximately 18 planes of unknown nationality. Also, Nagoya, Osaka, Kobe, and one other town were lightly bombed by incendiary bombs of five-pound size. No great damage was supposed to have been done, and almost all fires were out now. Nine of the planes were reported to have been shot down. Several of us, however, were questioned as what type of plane came over Kobe and what nationality we thought it was. Lots of talk and speculation in our group as to the above and when the next raid would occur. Air raid alarms sounded at 12.15 p.m. and all clear at approximately 3 p.m. No foreign planes appeared over Kobe, although all precautions were taken. Water in bathtubs, buckets, buckets and boxes of sand, wet rice mats, and each man with a blanket for smothering fire. Watchers on the top of each building in this area and local bomb wardens in each block. Rumors from the outside had it that Tokyo and Yokohama were again bombed and that a plane appeared over Osaka, but dropped no bombs. We had no exercise today, and once again, before dark, the house was entirely closed. The doors locked upstairs, and the windows and the shutters closed. No lights in the upstairs bedrooms or baths, a real job and a hazard for the men to get out to their beds, etc. 
made a duffel bag today out of two blue denim prison blouses. Harold Brinkerhoff. The paper says 18 enemy planes raided Yokohama and Tokyo at 12.39. Nine are supposed to have been shot down. Two planes attacked Nagoya and one at Kobe. The bombs were mostly incendiaries, but a few high explosives were dropped. The night was quiet here. There might have been night attacks on other cities. The paper made no mention of any. It was a satisfying sensation to see and hear what we had been waiting for the past four months to come to pass. It has raised our spirits. We had begun to think we were the forgotten men. We are not over jubilant, just a quiet pride in our countrymen, bearing out our faith that our country would get around to retaliating for the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. We had hoped to be out of Japan before hostilities began here, but we are prepared to take whatever is necessary to bring this war to a victorious conclusion for America. We hope the attitude towards us will not change. It seems the nationality of the plane over Kobe is still not identified. The Jap interpreter was here asking if we knew the nationality of the plane. We wonder whether they know and are just trying to find out how much we know about American planes. There was an alarm today at 12.15. We don't know whether it was a drill or a raid. All clear was sound at 2.50 p.m. Roy C. Henning. The newspapers have info that 18 planes attacked. Nine were shot down. Good breakfast and lunch. Air raid, no enemy planes seen though. Half a can of tomatoes with breakfast. Make a swell evening snack. Shaved. Brian Sterling. Newspaper accounts this morning stated that nine enemy craft had been brought down. Tokyo and Yokohama had been bombed, as well as Nagoya and Kobe. The paper stated that only incendiary bombs had been dropped, not causing much damage. Nationality of the planes was not revealed, but I think they are Russian. Had an air raid warning today. Five planes flew over, but they turned out to be Japanese. I've started working furiously on Jay's knapsack in order to have something to cart my stuff in case we are evacuating from here. Sometime back, the police said we could be moved in case of bombing. April 20th, 1942. Harold Brinkerhoff. It rained all night. No paper today. We heard that a single plane set fires in eastern Kobe during the alarm yesterday, it is raining again. It's very puzzling where the planes came from. They appear to be light bombers. If they had a cruising range of 3,000 miles, they could have come from China. The only other land bases they could have come from would be Siberia or Marcus Island. We are inclined to think they came from a carrier, but the danger for a carrier to remain within such a distance of Japan would be very great. We wonder if the possible loss of a carrier 
would warrant the results. Our meals have been quite good. The Mikado restaurant sent in a can of tomatoes each at a cost of 50 cents. I have not opened mine. Charles F. Gregg found out yesterday that morning that the departure of the diplomats had been postponed one and a half months. This should increase our chances of returning with them. Rained all day today, and ceiling and visibility were quite poor. No air raid alarm. No exercise, but we had lights on in order to go to bed. Police and men are still guessing as to nationality of planes and where they came from. Roy Henning. Rained all night. Still raining today. Swell sleeping weather. Bob Vaughn and I finished the second can of tomatoes. Brian Sterling. Scuttlebutt going around that Russia has declared war on Japan. Seems very probably as I still think Russian planes did the bombing. There were a couple of men here the other day measuring the building. Don, Don tells me they are getting ready to auction off the mission. This may just be talk, though. Don Monroe. April 21st, 1942. Charles F. Gregg. Paper this morning fails to mention any raid on Sunday. No papers on Monday. And gives planes as B-25s, North American mid-wing, medium-range bombers from three aircraft carriers as those, as those that conducted raid on Saturday. I neither believe they came from a carrier or that they were that tight, but time may tell. Had bath yesterday and put clothes to soak, so we'll wash today. Still overcast and threatening, but general tendency is for clearing. The government has confiscated all foreign property that is on perpetual lease, and police are therefore taking inventory of all that is here at Siemens Institute. Representatives from Japanese Foreign Relations Bureau called on us today and said that Sushi Camp was doing fine. Also, the general and his staff were in charge of the military group in Kobe. Air raid alarm from 4.30 to 6.50 p.m., but no foreign planes overhead. People are getting jittery from these alarms. Harold Brinkerhoff. Something is in the air. The Commissioner of Foreign Affairs was here. He said the men at Zensushi are doing well. Some are working in the fields. Others are building rabbit hutches to raise their own meat, as it is scarce there. They have nothing on us. Our meat is all fish. At 12.15, several high-ranking officers from the Army were in and out several times. There was an air raid alarm at 4.42 p.m., all clear at 5.30 p.m. Roy Henning, sunny in the afternoon, finish good earth, blackout at night, wisterian bloom in the front yard. Bryant Sterling, air raid warning today at 3 p.m. Didn't amount to much, only Japanese planes flew over. A policeman is stationed at each street intersection with a megaphone to warn householders to have water ready in case of fire caused by bombs. Soon after the police holler, the sirens are heard.
April 22nd, 1942, Harold Brinkerhoff. I think the identity and the departure point of the planes is still unknown to the Japanese. The Jap stories are very confusing. The day after the raid, they claimed nine planes shot down. Today's paper said two were shot down but landed in the sea. They say they were in flames and presumably fell in the sea. They state the planes were Lockheed Hudson's. There's been nothing of any raids except Saturday the 18th, but there's been two alarms since. The Japs say three carriers were sighted and chased to sea. We're in hopes the planes came from the mainland of China, as we could expect more if permanent bases were established there. Most of the fellows think they were feeler or nuisance raids, and the real raids will commence next week when we will probably have a full moon. If this happens, we won't probably have any window glass left. We have been puzzled why the Japs have not been challenged in the South. The strategy seems to be to let the Japs extend their lines and then strike at the heart of the mainland. Steph Gregg, up early and shaved. Looks like it'll be a beautiful day for bombing. Morning paper had nothing to say on yesterday's alarm and stated of the nine planes shot down on Saturday, only two were certain and they were out at sea and went into clouds that so was presumed they were destroyed. Day passed uneventfully and police relaxed a little on the night blackout. Roy Henning, cold and brisk again, a little sun. Reading Reader's Digest magazines. Heard a rumor that a ship was leaving on May 15th, taking envoys and nationals. April 23, 1942. Charles F. Gregg. Beautiful day. Shampoo reported back from Tokyo and the diplomats are now scheduled to leave on May 15th. Papers still talking of ineffective bombing raid, bombing of Port Moresby and Corregidor, also economic cooperation between Thailand and Japan, etc. This waiting, 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 uninformed of world news and how the war is progressing Realizing that all hell will soon break out on the Western Front is hard on one's emotions. One can't help but be emotionally upset when the national life of the United States and all her people is in jeopardy, yet being imprisoned by the enemy, all the news one gets is unfavorable propaganda against the United States. We realize, however, that Japan has by now most probably shot or bolt and could do little more in offensive warfare. That it would be hard for her to meet and resist a strong offensive thrust that the United States is sufficiently strong in leadership, men, and materiel to soon take a strong offensive action. It is unbelievable to me that Japan could do anything but eventually completely collapse this to occur within a few months after the United States can devote her whole attention to the Pacific area. 
Again, during the exercise period, precautionary air raid alarm, 3 p.m. to p.m. to dark. Harold Brinkerhoff, three months since we arrived at the Siemens mission. A long time, but it has passed fairly fast. I guess it is good that we're unable to see what the next three months will bring. Without a doubt, it will be interesting. The paper says our pilots bombed schools and hospitals in Tokyo. There's been no mention of other raids, but evidently there were, as no previous bombing of schools or hospitals was mentioned. A fellow met one of the other group at the hospital. Their house is high above the city. He said on Tuesday they saw a plane flying high with anti-aircraft shells busting around it. Something was going on this morning. The first warning is the raising of a white flag on the street corner. When we were in the park, a fellow on a bicycle rode by shouting through a megaphone, on guard. If there is a real alarm, a red flag is run up. Nothing developed here but possibly somewhere else. Roy Hanning worked with Jack Taylor on lenses and their angles. Had a fine sunbath while reading O. Henry's stories. And this concludes episode 21 of the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye now.